what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Violence escalating in Haiti. The U.S. has just closed its embassy in the Caribbean nation. We'll bring up the latest. Ohioans head to the polls today in a key vote to alter the state's constitution. Abortion access lies at the heart of the election. Florida governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis says he won't penalize women who break abortion bans. Porsche in a tricky situation, the German automaker facing criticism after editing out a statue of Jesus in a promo video. Buying and selling fake reviews is a big illegal industry, but new government rules would exclude big tech from punishment. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, the United States closed its embassy in Haiti today due to people firing weapons nearby. Gang-related violence has been escalating in recent months. The State Department ordered people at the embassy to shelter in place and not leave their compounds. Others are advised to avoid the area around the embassy, which is located in Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince. Officials also said people should not go near demonstrations or large groups of people and not attempt to drive through roadblocks. Killings, kidnappings, and rapes continue to increase. Gangs have gradually taken over more territory, in some cases ousting officers from police stations. Meanwhile, citizens have reportedly lynched suspected gang members, according to the United Nations Security Council. Many Haitians trying to stay out of trouble are trapped in their homes. Monday's powerful storms are still wrecking havoc on travel across the U.S., according to FlightAware. More than 300 flights were canceled this morning. And nearly 630 flights are delayed. Delta Airlines passengers have been inconvenienced the most with 95 canceled flights and 98 delays. There were more than 600 reports of severe weather across the country Monday. It forced more than 8,600 flight delays and nearly 1,800 cancellations. Abortion is in the spotlight. Ohio voters head to the polls today in a special election which could have a major influence over abortion access in the state. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what is known as Issue 1. The election will decide whether to make the Ohio Constitution harder to amend. If Issue 1 passes, the threshold for voters being able to change the state constitution would rise from a simple majority to 60%. That would make it difficult for a November proposal over abortion access to succeed. The proposal is called the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety. It would remove Ohio's parental notification legislation when a minor wants an abortion and would permit abortion to the point when an unborn baby can survive outside the womb, typically around 24 weeks into pregnancy. It was introduced by a pro-abortion coalition that includes Planned Parenthood, Pro-Choice Ohio and others. In 2019, the Ohio State Legislature passed a heartbeat bill that bans abortion around the six-week mark. That went into effect after the Supreme Court's Dobbs v. Jackson ruling last year. The law was challenged almost immediately and remains tied up in court. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose says Issue 1 protects the Ohio Constitution from out-of-state interests who have figured out Ohio's Constitution is an easy mark. 
while Democrats argue that issue one is an attempt by Republicans to quash voter efforts to enshrine abortion into state law after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he does not support penalties for women who break abortion bans. His comments came under attack by pro-life groups. The Republican presidential candidate made the comments on NBC during an interview that aired yesterday. He said violating abortion bans is not an issue about the woman. He said many women are in difficult situations and don't get any support from the children's fathers. When asked if he would veto a federal abortion ban, DeSantis said he'll be a pro-life president and support pro-life policies. He was accused last month of not supporting a nationwide abortion ban. The president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America called his position unacceptable. In response, DeSantis's press secretary highlighted the action he took against abortion in Florida and called the criticism an unjustified attack and an example of D.C. political games. And Governor DeSantis is replacing his campaign manager, Janera Peck, ending weeks of speculation about Peck's future. It's the latest development in a months-long shakeup of DeSantis's presidential campaign. DeSantis is replacing Peck with his gubernatorial office chief of staff, James Utmeyer. Utmeyer is known in Florida as an enforcer of DeSantis's agenda and devoted protector of the Republicans' political brand. At least 75 Catholic ch schools across the nation are closing their doors for good, with many breaking the news to families in just the past few weeks. Most of the closures are in major cities like Philadelphia, Boston, and Cincinnati. In New York City alone, the Catholic Archdiocese of New York closed 12 schools at the end of the academic year, laying the blame on shifting demographics and lower enrollment exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the schools that are now permanently closed were considered legendary. While the schools have all cited financial reasons, Catholics are speculating as to deeper factors. C.J. Doyle, executive director of the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts, told the Epoch Times that Catholic schools are struggling with a shift in ideology, with traditional Catholic beliefs being challenged by modern Catholic families and even Catholic school leaders. Doyle and others also suggest the church may be selling off schools to make money. A controversy involving Jesus and Porsche probably wasn't something most were expecting. The luxury car maker is experiencing backlash after seemingly editing a giant Jesus statue out of a promo video. The statue is the Cristo Rey, which overlooks the city of Lisbon, Portugal. The company released a campaign video last week promoting the 2024 Porsche 911. At about the 44-second mark, Porsche zooms across the screen with the Cristo Rey in the background, except the over 90-foot-tall statue of Jesus is missing. Just the nearly 270-foot concrete pedestal can still be seen. Porsche says they are extremely sorry and can completely comprehend the hurt it caused, adding that the film had been removed. The company later released a new version of the video where the statue of Jesus can be seen atop the pedestal. Coming up, can more cash help sort out the risk of devastating cyber attacks? The Department of Homeland Security is hoping so. And packaged raw beef in a common supermarket, it's no longer in stores, but could be sitting in home freezers. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today.
Welcome back. Fake reviews are one of the fastest growing black markets in the United States. Tech giants like Facebook being accused of hypocrisy when it comes to fixing the problem. Kay Dean is founder of Fake Review Watch and an international expert on fake reviews. She says tech companies like Facebook seem very concerned about disinformation, but fake reviews are a form of disinformation that affects millions. Facebook did not respond to inquiries about the issue. There are an estimated 10,000 fake review groups operating worldwide on Facebook, with some selling reviews for as little as 50 cents a review. There are also allegations of double standards from the government when it comes to enforcing laws against fake reviews. Last week, the Federal Trade Commission introduced a series of regulations to put an end to the rampant and growing practice. But buried in the proposed policy changes is the agency's agreement to exempt platforms like Facebook, Amazon, and Google from penalties or liability. Amazon responded to inquiries, saying the incentive to post fake reviews makes fighting them a complex challenge. More cash to combat growing cyber threats to key infrastructure and public safety. The Department of Homeland Security is freeing up around $375 million in funding. The funding is for fiscal year 2023 and is part of the state and local cybersecurity grant program. The program seeks to enhance cyber resilience among state, local, and territorial governments across the U.S. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says any locality is vulnerable to a devastating cyber attack in today's threat environment, adding that those can be targeted at a hospital, school, water, or other systems. A rare shark attack at a New York City beach left a 50-year-old woman hospitalized in critical condition. Officials don't recall any previous reports of shark attacks at this beach. Officials say the woman was likely surfing at the time of the attack, and she was unconscious when first responders arrived, either from blood loss or shock. Lifeguards cleared the Rockaway Beach. Police searched for sharks but did not find any. The beach remains closed to swimmers and surfers. They will patrol to keep people out of the water and will monitor by air for sharks. The woman was bitten just before 6 p.m. Monday evening. By Tuesday morning, her condition was deemed serious, but not life-threatening. The USDA has issued a public health alert on raw beef from Aldi supermarkets. The beef is no longer on store shelves, but consumers could still have it in refrigerators and freezers. Aldi alerted the USDA after one location found soft, clear plastic in the packaged meat. A recall was never issued. The beef is marked as packaged on July 25th. It has a use or freeze-by date of August 22nd. It's labeled as Black Angus Beef for Carne Picada and sold as 1.5-pound plastic tray packages. There have not been any confirmed reports of illness or injury related to the product. Consumers are urged to throw away the beef or return it to an Aldi location. The CFO of Tesla has officially resigned. Zachary Kirkhorn says he will remain in the job until the end of the year to allow for a smooth transition. Kirkhorn began work at Tesla as a financial analyst in 2010 and was promoted to CFO in 2019. When he started with the company, it was worth around $50 billion. It's currently worth around $780 billion. Tesla has already named a new CFO. Neither Kirkhorn nor Tesla provided a reason for the departure. 
President Biden is set to designate the fifth national monument of his presidency. That's alongside his trip to the Grand Canyon today. The new monument prevents potential uranium mining on nearly one million acres of greater Grand Canyon landscape. The area includes biodiverse habitats, provides refuge for wildlife, and is sacred to the tribal nations that live there. During his visit, Biden is also planning to announce $44 million in new climate resilience funding for national parks. The trip is part of a three-stop western swing highlighting Biden's economic agenda. It coincides with the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. We come back, a new report out this morning on small business optimism in the U.S. How are small businesses feeling about the economy? We hear from an economist. And Americans are in a record amount of credit card debt. How did we get here? And what can people do to get back on the track? We'll take a closer look when we return. Welcome back, everyone. More than 11,000 Los Angeles city workers have walked up the job today. Negotiations have broken down between local unions and the city. Unions in the region, city workers have said they will shut down the city for 24 hours. The Service Employees International Union Local 721 represents about 95,000 workers in Southern California, making it the largest in the region. It's the first strike of its kind in about 40 years. The union says the city has flat out refused to honor previous agreements at the, pit, at the bargaining table and that it prompted workers to file unfair labor practice charges. The union wrote, we're striking for respect, plain and simple, and if we don't get it, we'll shut it down. How are small American businesses feeling about the economy? The latest Small Business Optimism Index came out this morning with both negative and positive signs. NTD Business's Don Ma talks to the chief economist at the organization behind the report, the National Federation of Independent Business. And now I'm happy to bring in NFIB's chief economist, Bill Dunkelberg, to talk to me about the Small Business Optimism Index that was just released a few hours ago. So, Bill, it seems like uh, U.S. small business confidence edged up to an eighth month high in July, but I'm sure that's not the whole picture, so um, that's why you're here. Well, what are some of the key takeaways from the July report? Well, you know, you're right, it did go up a little bit, but uh, for, for 19 months now, it's been well below our 50-year our average of 98, so we're a long way from even being average, and uh, it's been a long time since we've seen a good reading. So, would you say small businesses are not optimistic uh, about the future, about the business environment? Yes, that's exactly right. We ask a number of questions on that. One is, uh, what do you think about business conditions six months from now? Will they be better or worse? And we uh, look at the net number, the percent who say better minus the percent who say worse. That's a minus 30, minus 30. So virtually everybody thinks it's going to be worse. Only about six or seven percent think it's going to be better. Uh, that is a, that is a, a big improvement uh, from a couple of months ago, but it's nonetheless very negative. Uh, we asked them about expected sales, expected real sales. That's also a around a negative 15%, meaning, again, more firms think their sales are headed down than think they're headed up. So those are uh, some of the very pessimistic components of the index. Now, 
I know there has been an uh, improvement uh, compared to the previous report. So I'm, I'm wondering, are, are we starting to trend up or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I don't think we are. Uh, I think the thing that's kept the index even above 90 are, the, are two components, the labor market components. One is job openings. 42% say they have a job opening they can't fill. This is about as high as we've seen it in the 50 years we've been doing the survey. Uh, and <clears throat> about 15% say they plan to fill those, those openings. And of course, uh, from month to month, they fail to do so. We end up with more firms saying that total employment at their company is down rather than up. So they, they keep wanting to hire. They see opportunities to make money if they can get another employee on, uh, but uh, they are unsuccessful. Uh, out of the 60 some odd percent that uh, hired or tried to hire last month, 92% said there were few or no qualified applicants. Do you think the Federal Reserve's interest rate increases had an impact on small businesses so far? Well, it certainly does. Um, we Small businesses depend crucially on banks for loans for capital spending and for expansion and operating costs. And those costs have risen uh, over the last couple of years. The average rate that they reported paying was 4%. Now it's over 8%, so it's doubled, so that's expensive. It's also a little harder to get credit. Banks have tightened up. Uh, their lending requirements, so that's more difficult for them as well. Well, Bill, I think one thing uh, we can agree on according to this report is that small businesses aren't optimistic about the future. <laughs> that's correct, but hopefully they'll improve and uh, start adding more to GDP. All right, thank you so much today for your time. Thank you. The plant-based meat product craze appears to be waning. Beyond Meat posted a 30% revenue decline for the second quarter Monday. In response, it reduced its revenue outlook for the year. The company is blaming inflation, interest rates, and ongoing recession concerns. And that could be at least part of the problem. Inflation has pushed many consumers towards cheaper basic foods. But even though Beyond Meat has, was once a Wall Street darling, the company has also seen its share of internal issues. Three members of its C-suite left last year, including one executive who was accused of biting a man's nose. The company's stock slid 10% in after-hours trading Monday. It's down more than 60% for the past year. Credit card debt hits an all-time high. The Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis reports that Americans now owe over $1 trillion. Meanwhile, introductory rates average 22.39% a sharp increase from last year's 18.89%. Here to discuss is Pete Earle, an economist from the American Institute for Economic Research. Pete Earle, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Pete, what does this record credit card debt say about the state of the American economy? Well, the path that uh, consumer debt levels have traveled over the past several years really tells a story about the U.S. economy. Um, when pandemic policies caused tremendous unemployment and economic malaise in 2020, a lot of people took on credit or added to their balances to pay bills and keep their heads above water. In 2021, credit levels fell a bit, but once inflation began running in 2022, and especially when it surpassed 9% surpassed in July of 2022, uh, Americans have taken on tremendous amounts of debt to stay ahead of rising prices. And now, for the first time, it's surpassed a trillion dollars. 
And how do the rate hikes that we've been seeing factor into all this? Yeah, they're the, they're the major factors in this colossal mountain of debt that we see. Uh, low interest rates and easy credit made uh, debt easy to accumulate, and then heavy-handed pandemic policies and uh, very loose monetary policy promoted, uh, or rather caused inflation. And that, in turn, promoted the assumption of debt. And now we have high interest rates and tightening credit, and that's making that trillion dollars worth of debt uh, more and more difficult for uh, people in debt to maintain. And Pete, NerdWallet recently conducted a survey that found a third of Americans haven't told anybody about how much uh, debt they owe, and two-fifths of Americans are embarrassed about how much uh, credit card debt they owe. Does this shame and secrecy surrounding credit card debt factor into how much debt we've accumulated? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's an interesting point. Um, I certainly think that for many people, uh, the accumulation of debt is associated with either uh, maintaining standards of living that were unrealistic or maybe keeping up appearances. So there's likely to be secrecy there. Um, you know, debt accumulation is also a pretty prominent factor in financial problems, which are a major cause of divorce. So social problems are uh, likely as well to evolve out of this uh, situation. And what's your advice to people struggling to get out of credit card debt? Um, the advice that one typically hears is to focus on one credit card or one loan at a time, uh, paying as much as you can on that while paying the minimum on others, and then eventually, when they're paid down, cancel the sources of credit until the available amount is manageable in light of your personal income and your circumstances. But that's that's very difficult uh, advice to follow in normal times, let alone times where we have rising prices and uh, and you know more and more difficult financial circumstances around us. Now, in addition to this credit card debt, we're dealing with inflation, as you mentioned. We talked about these rate hikes and the student loans repayments that have been on hold since the pandemic are about to kick back in in October. Um, are we on the verge of a recession here? What, what's, what do you think is going to happen? So last week, we had a 2.4% uh, second quarter GDP number, which looked strong, but really, it only had two factors supporting it, uh, consumer spending and fixed investment in the form of payments from U.S. government through various programs to companies that are building semiconductor foundries and that sort of thing. Um, I predicted in the AIR's March 2023 Business Conditions Monthly that the U.S. would enter a recession by September 2024, based upon a few factors. Uh, the exhaustion of the consumer, we have rising unemployment, we have lag effects of inflation, some other factors. And now with a, a spike in both credit card and auto loan payment delinquencies and bankruptcies on the rise, I think that's, that's coming. I mean, none of that guarantees a recession, but in my view, uh, in the aggregate, I think the chances of a soft landing are, are diminishing pretty rapidly. Pete Earle, economist for the American Institute for Economic Research, thank you. Thanks for having me. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. When we come back, a silent protest on a street in London after Chinese political slogans on an art wall spark backlash. And the U.S. says China attending Ukraine talks in Saudi Arabia was productive. Officials from both sides met briefly amid rising tensions more shortly here on NTD News Today.
Thanks for staying with us, everyone. If you're just now joining us, here are some of today's top headlines. We're seeing the aftermath of Monday's powerful storms today. More than 300 flights were canceled and over 600 were delayed. Voters in Ohio casting ballots today on issue one. The result will decide whether it'll be more difficult to amend the state constitution. The election could have a major impact on the state's abortion process. And a controversy surrounding Porsche, the luxury automaker appears to have edited out a giant statue of Jesus in a promo video, but it soon apologized and updated the video. Impartial, that's China's official stance toward the Ukraine war, but China and Russia just conducted their largest ever joint Navy operation near Alaska. So how serious is China about this impartiality? I asked Grant Newsham. He's a retired Marine Corps colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Grant Newsham, thank you for joining us. Well, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Grant, at the recent Jeddah talks, China says it wants to remain impartial on the war in Ukraine. Given its increasingly close role with Russia, is it really possible for them to remain impartial in the war? Well, no. And really, there's nothing in China's behavior uh, that would suggest that it is going to be impartial. And that's always the important thing to watch. Uh, when China says something like this, you will find that it, it has a lot of people in the West, particularly in the U.S., grasping at straws, thinking, well, this time China's serious. This time they really do want to give peace a chance. But there's really no reason to think that anything will come of this. Uh, China said things like this before, but there's really no reason to believe them this time. So why are they saying this again? Um, what's the tactic here? Well, one of the sort of things they get out of it is they get the Americans in particular, but also the Europeans to some extent to back off, uh, to not pressure uh, China on things like, well, unfair trade practices, human rights, uh, pressure they're putting on our friends or allies, the Filipinos, uh, on Taiwan, the pressure they're putting on Japan. Uh, maybe we won't say anything about the Chinese and the Russian naval uh, exercises, uh, near Alaska. So that's really the big effect, is it, it creates this hope, false hope, and you find that, the, as I said, the Americans in particular will pull back a bit. They won't pressure China on uh, things that are really of considerable interest to us, but uh, we think, well, there's a, maybe there's a hope with Ukraine, and we will back off. So that, I think, is the big thing China gets from. It creates the illusion of being a responsible country. China has proposed its own peace deal for Ukraine. Tell us about that deal and the international response to it. Well, it, ironically, the international response has been pretty lukewarm to it. Uh, China is not really saying that Russia did anything wrong or even has to suffer any consequences uh, for what they did uh, to Ukraine. Um, but it, you know, it has some vague-sounding language. It sounds nice. But I don't think even the State Department uh, and I'm not saying that cynically, but even they didn't fall for it. Uh, there really isn't anything, as I said, in Chinese behavior which suggests that they are serious. They're still providing military support, financial support, uh, economic support, and political support for Russia, uh, just as they did before the invasion started, and they've really never let up. Uh, so there's really just some uh, few instances of language that uh, people have jumped on to say, oh, the Chinese are different. Uh, they really do want to uh, work this out. 
but there's a, a lot of cynicism. But at the same time, you will find that we at least instinctively back off uh, the way that the U.S. government and successive administrations have when it comes to North Korea. Uh, we think, well, we just must have Chinese help with fill in the blank, North Korea, climate change, and thus we don't pressure them on the things which I just mentioned. Grant Newsham, retired Marine Corps colonel and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Chinese propaganda on the streets of London, sparking a silent protest. The city's Brick Lane, famous for its street art, has been at the center stage since yesterday. Overnight, the tourist site was painted with big red Chinese characters preaching Xi Jinping's slogans of democracy and civilization. These slogans are known as core socialist values made up of 12 two-character phrases, but soon competing scribbles started to appear on the Brick Lane, criticizing the Chinese Communist Party's ideology. Some added a no to the slogans, calling for human rights and a fight against authoritarianism. Others plead for freedom in Hong Kong and Tibet. One picture shows a message countering Xi's so-called socialist values, calling it democracy without human rights and civilization without morality. A creator of Xi's slogans defended his work, saying it was in line with Western free speech. He told the BBC that China's slogans are also common goals for the world, but critics argue that his act vandalized the original paintings on the wall, calling it a brutal destruction of other people's art. Another comment questions, do you dare to go to Beijing and write democracy and freedom? If you dare, the home country you love will dare to arrest you. U.S. officials meet Chinese envoy amid Ukraine peace talks in Saudi Arabia. The White House called Beijing's presence at the meeting productive, while China repeated its controversial proposals for a ceasefire. The summit was held over the weekend in the Saudi Arabian port city of Jeddah. It aimed to draft key principles for ending the war in Ukraine. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Nuland were on site. They held a brief meeting with China's Special Envoy for Eurasian Affairs and former Ambassador to Russia, Li Hui. We have long said that it would be productive if ch for China to play a role in ending the war in Ukraine if it was willing to play a role that respected uh, Ukraine's territorial integrity and Ukraine's sovereignty. Miller didn't address the details of the meeting, but it comes amid heightened tensions between Washington and Beijing. Just over the weekend, the U.S. State Department criticized Beijing for attacking a Philippine ship in the South China Sea that followed the Navy's recent response to Chinese and Russian warships approaching Alaska. The world's largest contract microchip maker is set to build its first European factory in Germany. The Taiwanese company TSMC is branching out. The company is investing over $3.8 billion in the deal. The plant will be located in the eastern German city of Dresden, where TSMC has been in talks with local authorities since 2021. Chip manufacturers AMD, Infineon, and Bosch already operate plants in Dresden. When we return, Kyiv has taken down Soviet symbols from a landmark monument. Officials said the move marks a resistance to Russia on the cultural front. 
and Crimea sees few tourists this summer. Its proximity to the war in Ukraine makes vacationers think twice about the once popular destination. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Back to the news. This might be the most dangerous job in Ukraine. Mine clearing. On the country's front lines, even corpses can kill, as Russian troops put bodies on top of landmines. Here's more. When Ukrainian sapper Volodymyr and his team discovered the corpses of Russian troops at an abandoned position, something looked off. After a closer look, the reason was clear. The bodies strewn across the floor were actually lying atop landmines. There were three or four of their dead. Two guys were lying on each other, which made us suspicious, because if there had been an explosion, they would have been thrown in different directions. But here, one is lying on the other. We did well by not touching them, because when we reached there with a kitten, we saw that under them was a PM mine. It exploded and blew up with them, but we stayed safe, thank God. Volodymyr nicknames the military equipment here. A kitten is a folding steel hook with retractable tongs that spring out like cat claws. Sappers use them to dislodge booby traps. A PM is a Soviet-era anti-personnel mine. Yes. Occupying Russian troops have sewn mines and booby traps across hundreds of miles of Ukraine's front. Kiev's commanders say it's the main reason why their long-awaited summer counteroffensive has been stunted. For mine clearers like Volodymyr, every day brings deadly risk. They try to make the ground safe, first for their fellow soldiers to advance and eventually for civilians to go home. He says the Russians mine everything, from open doors to toys, and now even their own dead. They say that they'd never abandon one of their own kind. However, when they leave their positions, they plant quite a lot of explosives under their own soldiers. Why are they doing this? Because they know that our medivac groups lift the wounded and the dead, under which they then find these explosives. And this can be very dangerous for us. Volodymyr says at least one sapper is either wounded or killed every day. Landmines inflicted a colossal toll in the first month of the counteroffensive launched in June. That's according to Alexander, an anesthesiologist with the 128th Mountain Assault Brigade who treats battlefield wounds. We had cases when five or six wounded people were brought in, and most of them turned out to be sappers. They had just been on a mission, were on their way back on the routes that they themselves had already cleaned. One of them stepped on a mine and was blown up. The three others approached him to help, but they also stepped on mines and were blown up. Yes, these things do happen. There is such a densely mined area that even one step away from the already cleared route may end rather fatally. Since the mines forced commanders to slow the advance, the number of wounded arriving at his hospital has tapered off markedly, but the sappers are still getting killed. Ukrainian factories have been working on equipment to help keep the mine clearers safe. 
As well as the kitten hooks, Volodymyr's unit has been sent spider boots. They lift each foot off the ground on four metal legs, so any blast they set off won't be triggered directly under a sapper's body. Eeyore Efemenko makes them in a Kharkiv-based factory based on a modified Canadian prototype. He told Reuters he pitched the idea to the emergency services after a relative lost a toe to a butterfly mine. But despite these preventative measures, Alexander knows the danger won't end soon. We would have liked to just wake up one day as if it were a nightmare, he says, a bad dream, and we just shrugged it off. But this is the reality. Kiev is taking down symbols from the Soviet era. The crossed hammer and sickle sign is no longer part of the city's iconic motherland monument. Workers began dismantling the Soviet coat of arms in July. It's part of a cultural shift toward a stronger Ukrainian self-identity following a recent political tilt toward the West. The shift has angered Russian leader Vladimir Putin, who used it as a part of his justification to invade Ukraine. Kyiv said Putin's war was an imperial mission to re-establish the Soviet Union. Ukrainian acting cultural minister said removing the symbols represents a cultural defiance against Russia. Not only do we have to guarantee resistance on the actual front line, but also put up a successful fight on the ideological and cultural front line. In the 2014 revolution, Ukrainian protesters toppled the statue of Soviet leader Vladimir Lenin. That was a bid to reject authoritarianism and communism and demand closer ties with the European Union. The country further banned Soviet symbols in 2015 after Russia annexed Crimea. Streets and squares previously named after Soviet party leaders were given new names. Tourists are hesitating to go to Crimea due to its proximity to the war in Ukraine. And TD's Andrew Thomas has more on the destination, once popular for its sandy beaches. Every summer, Russian tourists flock to Crimea for vacation, but not this year. I live here. This is our most central street. And usually at this time, it is impossible to push through here. There are a lot of people and cars here. But now, as you can see, everything has changed. This normally busy resort is almost abandoned. All hotels and guest houses are empty. The casual passerby is a rare sight. From about June 15, our guest house is usually almost completely occupied from June 15 until about mid-September. This year, due to the fact that the beach is closed, of course our guests did not come, because here, naturally, people go to the sea and the beach. Tourism in Crimea is almost non-existent due to its proximity to the fighting. Most popular Crimean hotels usually run out of space by April or May, but many tourists are afraid to visit following frequent attacks on the peninsula. This is a standard room for two adults and two children. There's a small kitchen here, as it is an apartment and a bathroom. But as you can see, unfortunately, we are empty. There are no guests. There's no one to live here. The Crimean bridge linking the peninsula to Russia was severely damaged in October. The most recent attack on July 17th forced the second closure in less than a year. Two people were killed. Local businesses are struggling to survive. The summer season is typically their only source of income. 
The tourist flow, when compared with the season before the start of the special military operation, that is with the season of 2021, will probably fall four times. Compared to last year, I think the drop could be up to 50%. For now, the prospects of Crimea's tourism industry look gloomy. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, eager pickleball players hit the mall in Arizona. A new facility allows players to see instant replays of their best saves. Stay tuned for more on that. Welcome back. Pickleball is now one of the fastest growing sports in the U.S. Inside an Arizona mall, a new indoor pickle mall is humming to meet the demand. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the new facility. Pickle Mall is open to anyone who wants to play in Tempe, Arizona. Hardcore players can sign up for a membership for extra benefits like discounts and court reservations. You'll see us opening more pickle malls. And, our, and our, our goal here is to create a great experience for serious pickleball players, people who love this sport. We want this to be the most fun place to play. Pickle Mall has its own scoring system. Personalized clickers allow players to keep track of their points. On-court cameras capture memorable moments. When you walk into our facility, you receive these clickers. Uh, when you hit a point, or you, when you win a point, you go and click your clicker for your side. The point thing changes, you clip these on your belt, that way you never have to go back to the screen and you have, the, you have your scoring history in your app. So when you have a great replay that you want to you wanna memorialize, you go here and you hit the replay button and the replay is saved. Kuhn thinks the partnership with Arizona Mills Mall will revitalize dying shopping malls. One thing that we're excited about, and I think our, our, our partners at Simon are excited about, is we're bringing new people to the shopping mall. And once they're here, they will, they will check out the shops, they'll, they'll go get some food, they'll yeah, I'm going to go to the Nike store later and buy some, buy some clothes so I can play. Pickleball is a mix of tennis, ping pong, and badminton. And it's one of the fastest growing sports in the U.S. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. An adorable twist to yoga. Inside a sunlit studio in India's capital, yoga enthusiasts gathered for an hour-long special session. As participants hold their poses, kittens and cats wander around the room. Some rest on yoga mats while others try to play, prompting laughter from the group. Yoga trainers said the furry companions can help people unwind from their daily stresses. You see a class full of people smiling throughout. You see playfulness, which is missing in our lives generally. So it's good to just unwind and have like a de-stressing session with these kittens. Also, it's really good as it raises a lot of awareness and it ends up with happy stories of kittens getting adopted. I think this uh, yoga with cats is much different from just walking out or yoga because of the added serotonin boost and it keeps you distracted in a good way. Some even take midday breaks from their office jobs to join the training. The classes are organized under an initiative known as the Paw Hour. It also helps promote pet adoptions. Organizers say after each class, they get tons of requests to adopt animals. A new member to the world's most threatened zebra species. Keepers at a British zoo are celebrating the birth of an endangered Grevy's zebra. 
The foal arrived last month. Mom Hannah gave birth after an epic 13-month pregnancy. The baby's name, Zinabe, means raindrop in Ethiopia's main language. He's a little miniature of his mom, except for his unique black and white stripe pattern. It's estimated there's just 2,000 breeding male and female Grevy's zebras left in the wild. The animal's natural habitat is in the Horn of Africa. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers. Thank you.